Welcome, everyone. Hope you're unfolding with life wherever you are. I'm super excited about today's guest. Jory Rose is a licensed marriage and family therapist, mindfulness and meditation teacher, coach, author, speaker, and she also leads mindfulness retreats around the world. Jory has helped thousands of people to live healthier and happier, more fulfilling lives through living with greater awareness and compassion, allowing them to decrease their stress, anxiety, and shed unhealthy habits, patterns, and mindsets. Jory is host of the podcast Journey Forward with Jory Rose and has authored the newly released A Year of Gratitude, Daily Moments of Reflection, Grace, and Thanks, as well as two mindfulness books, Squirmy Learns to Be Mindful and Mindfulness, It's Elementary. Jory has been featured in prominent media outlets such as OprahMag.com, NBCNews.com, Business Insider, KTLA News, and many more. Welcome, Jory. Great to um, see you again. It's great to see you. <laughs> I'm really excited to have you on the BU podcast. We're all about sharing the remarkable stories that even at the time may have not seemed so remarkable that ultimately when we reflect back on our lives, it showed us who we were becoming and what our path was and how it was unfolding. So if you want to take us back to your own journey and, and share some of the milestones. Absolutely. So I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for having me. You know, it's been a journey for sure. I always knew I wanted to be a marriage and family therapist. That was always my path. And partly because I grew up with a ton of trauma around me. And by all accounts and purposes, I should have been kind of messed up as a result. Meaning it would have made perfect sense for me to struggle socially, academically, mentally, emotionally, and for the most part, I've really thrived and survived from trauma. And yet I now at 45 years old, I'm even looking back to say, oh, interesting how the things that I thought were surviving actually weren't so skillful in my patterns or strategies that I'm now working at this stage of my life to heal because, you know, our journey is never done. But some of those early traumas that were really life-shaping for me is actually some previous generational trauma. The most significant piece of that story is my mom's parents were killed in a car accident when my mom was 16. She was the only survivor of the accident. She became pretty much a caretaker to her two younger brothers. Her Russian immigrant grandparents moved in. I literally cannot wrap my head around of what that experience must have been like for her. And while she is also a survivor, she's also been developmentally stuck at 16 in many ways. And that has impacted our family dynamics. Couple of that with my parents got divorced when I was three and my dad committed suicide when I was that 10. So by the time I was 12 years old, I had been to, I think, six funerals, all of which were immediate family. So the underlying message I received from a really, really young age was people leave. And abandonment wasn't conceptual, it was real. And, you know, oftentimes the fear and anxiety are rooted in the what ifs, right? When our mind can create stories and we believe those stories and then we act as if those stories are real. And then we kind of manifest our own reality because we're creating our reality through our mind. But I always struggled because I knew my fears and anxieties weren't rooted in what ifs. They were rooted in worst case scenario actually can happen. And that was the reality in my life. And that led me to be 
someone who made decisions based out of safety and security, rather than perhaps uh, someone who made decisions based on independence or exploration or having that secure base. So more of my story is I ended up marrying my high school sweetheart, who I was with since I was 13 years old. That was one of those decisions made out of safety and security and ended up getting divorced at 36. I graduated high school at 17. I graduated college in three years. My ex-husband was a year ahead of me in school. So I finished college really fast to catch up to him. So here I am, 24 years old with a master's degree in counseling psychology. I found myself halfway through the hours of becoming a therapist and I was working with a family and the teenage daughter had had a suicide attempt. And the father denied her reality and basically said, I don't see any blood, you're fine. And that was enough for me. I couldn't tolerate the degree of denial of someone's emotional or mental or physical experience. And that's when I realized I have no business being anybody's therapist. I'm not equipped for this at 24 years old. Like I knew a lot about the pain of life, but I hadn't experienced my own sense of life. And so I ended up stopping my hours which was shocking to me after just getting a graduate degree and spending all that time and ended up getting pregnant within the year and was able to be a stay-at-home mom, which I was so grateful for. I mean, raising my babies, I loved those years and it was exactly where I was supposed to be. But then when my youngest started kindergarten, here I am 30 years old and I woke up one day and said, who am I? Like, how did I get here? I didn't remember making the conscious choices to get to where I was. I just kept doing what was next, what was next, what was next in hopes that then I'll find that safety and security. Then I'll be fulfilled. And I I absolutely had a beautiful life, but I wasn't fulfilled. I didn't feel aligned at that soul level, but I didn't have the language to put to it at that time. So I ended up getting myself into therapy too find myself, discover myself. And my very first therapy session, I thought, oh, this actually feels really good being in this therapeutic space, but I wanted to be on the other side of it. I was ready to go back for those hours. Well, I hadn't been an intern for over eight years and I reached out to my old supervisor. This was one of the first of many serendipitous events In one 24-hour period, three different green ladybugs presented themselves to me. And I'm a believer in signs, and I've never even seen a green ladybug before. And ladybugs are a sign of luck. Green is the color of growth. Three is a sign of the Holy Trinity. It means you're on the right path. So as serendipity would have it, she'd had an intern lined up. And a week before I called her, the intern dropped out. And here she had this opening that I started the very following week. Well, one day I'm sitting in her office for supervision and I see a book titled Mindfulness on her shelf. I had never heard the word mindfulness. I had no idea what it was. And I said, what is that? Well, she had had some interns who were teaching mindfulness in schools to kids. Long story short, she connected me with the intern and I ended up taking a six-week introduction to mindfulness course that started the very following week. And in that very first hour-long class, we were guided in about a 15-minute meditation. 
Chris, I literally thought I was going to die. I had never sat so still ever. And it was uncomfortable. And it helped me realize why I had kept the momentum. What's next? What's next? What's next? Next? You know, of how can I keep moving, which I see so many clients do as a function of, we don't know what to do with ourselves in stillness. What happens when those thoughts take over, those emotions are there, the decisions of what's the right choice. I really was exploring what felt like this existential crisis I was in. Who am I? How do I want to continue? And what's the path look like? And of course, it's never a straight line. <laughs> Lots of twists and turns. I was doing mindfulness with the kids for four years. So I kept having to find different ways to connect. And one of the things I realized was the curriculum I was taught was very effective at the how. Here's how you practice mindfulness. Here's ways to do that. But I realized it was very ineffective in teaching and helping these kids understand the why does this matter? Why should we practice it? And this one little girl, she was in third grade. And when I asked the question, why should we practice our breathing? She responded with saying, for the same reason we have a fire drill. She said, we have a fire drill, so we know what to do in case of an emergency. And I imagine that we practice our breathing so we know how to use it when we need it. Like I was absolutely blown away at eight or nine years old. It was absolutely beautiful. And I ended up from there developing curriculum and started teaching mindfulness through my local rec guides in the cities and towns near where I lived. And from that, even developed mindful parenting courses because I saw that what was really a function of the household was not always the kids, but most often the parents and the systemic challenges. So working with the parents was really a way that helped me feel most effective in the system. But I simultaneously was developing this very professional mindfulness path, was also delving into it in a very personal way and um, did MBSR training with John Kabat-Zinn and Saki Santorelli, which was absolutely life-changing and did a five-day silent meditation retreat and learned how to sit with myself. It was a masterclass in learning how to be with myself. And most importantly, I had the recognition that I had lived from the neck up, that I was thinking my feelings. I wasn't feeling my feelings. And I was over analyzing, over rationalizing, overthinking, being really cognitive about a lot of my emotional experiences. And so developed a meditation practice in which I love that idea of like a snow globe of letting the glitter just settle. And in that practice, learn to sit with my truth. And a pivotal piece to this story was I was introduced in a very random way to the book, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman, which was a spiritual book that led many people into that entree of their own spiritual awareness, spiritual practices. And feeling so incredibly moved by this book, I ended up being able to go on a retreat with him. And it was at the Omega Institute in upstate New York in the summer of 2013. And it was to develop a peaceful, compassionate heart and a warrior spirit. So the first part of the weekend was all the mindfulness practices, the compassion practice, the meditation practices. And the Sunday was cultivating our warrior spirit. And the Sunday morning began with us learning a martial arts routine that he choreographed to Lionel Richie which I just like had this out-of-body experience, like 
how did I get here? I'm in the middle of upstate New York on a Sunday morning doing martial arts with Dan Millman to Lionel Richie. Like it just was so like, how did I get here a moment? But it was amazing. So then he led us into this exercise about self-doubt. He grouped us in groups of three people. And let's say, Chris, you're my long lost friend. You're standing across the room. And I want to go embrace you because I haven't seen you for so long. And as I walk towards you, the third person in our little triad would throw their arm out, blocking me from reaching you. Well, that person represented self-doubt. So we ended up going through this exercise nine different times because each person had to play each role three times. So you really had a feel of what it physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally felt like to be stopped by self-doubt and push past self-doubt. He then, after that exercise, this was my single life-changing moment I'm about to share with you. This is all the culmination that led to this moment. Dan Millman then assembled two cement blocks with a purple meditation cushion between them and a plastic interlocking board across the top. And he says, we're going to break a board. Am I allowed to swear on your podcast, Chris? You can, if it's, if it's too harsh, I'll bleep it out. <laughs> okay. Well, then I'm just, you can bleep it out, but the literal words that came into my head was, I can't fucking break a board. There it was self-doubt immediately self-doubt was there. I can't do this. My self-doubt mantra is running in my head. I can't do this. He then said, what do you think the goal is? And we're all just like a duh. You just told us the goal was to break the board. He said, no, the goal is to hit the cushion. The board is simply in your way. He said, the board represents your obstacles. The cushion represents your goals and your dreams. So it's my turn. Everyone went one at a time. So I get up there. I'm kneeling down. Everyone's chanting my name. I'm looking up at Dan Millman. He's kind of guiding me in what to do. I reach my arm up. I come down and I didn't break it. And my immediate thought was, see, told myself I couldn't do it. And there it was, validating self-doubt. I was only one of six people in a room of like 60 who didn't break it. I felt embarrassed. I felt shame. I felt like, see, I told myself and it had kind of validated how I had gotten to where I was. I just, I didn't believe in myself to do any different. Everyone goes, he then says, okay, if you didn't break the board, I'm going to give you one more chance. Unfortunately, someone said the wrong name after I said my name. So they weren't chanting my name as I was up there because they're chanting Marista, which is not me, (laughs) but they were chanting for me, even though someone heard the wrong name that the rest of the group was chanting. I get up there again. I'm kneeling down. I'm looking up at Dan Millman and he's telling me to breathe. Something came over me in which it wasn't even my mindset so much because my self-doubt tape was still pretty loud at that point. I was now like doubly confirmed I couldn't do it. So I already told myself I couldn't, then I actually couldn't. But what shifted for me this time was instead of having my focus be on the board, I shifted my entire energy, focus, and attention to the cushion. And I took a deep breath and I raised up my hand and I brought it down and I broke through that board, Chris. And it literally, in that moment, my life changed because I pushed past self-doubt. I no longer could use the excuse of I can't do it as being the reason why I couldn't do something. 
I knew it meant, fuck, I might need to get divorced. Like, oh, like what's the follow through? If I'm no longer afraid to make a choice, what is the implication of that? Because I didn't want to just have this breakthrough and not take action, which no, no shame to someone who does. We can have plenty of breakthroughs and then take time for action, right? And my action wasn't immediate, but it was the realization of the things that were holding me back of why I was having this existential crisis in my life. So I felt this massive breakthrough. And ever since then, my life was different. I gained the awareness to not let fear stop me, to not let the unknown stop me. That was partly why I kept it so safe because it was known. And yet the unknown to me felt like this big black abyss. And that felt really, really scary. Well, I had gotten very involved in the mindfulness world, was attending um, conferences, and I live in the Bay Area, so Wisdom 2.0, and there was Wisdom Women. There was a lot of events that allowed me to connect with like-minded people going through the same spiritual journey and gaining these tools and awarenesses. I was at a Women in Wisdom event sometime around this same time period, and there was a motivational speaker on stage. And... There's about 200 women in this room. And she says, I'm going to choose a name at random out of this hat. And if I call your name, I'm going to invite you up on stage. Well, Chris, you could imagine the hush and the mumbling and the murmuring that went across this room as everyone's now terrified their name's going to be called. So the speaker says, just shout out, what are you experiencing in your body right now? And people are like, my heart's pounding. I'm beginning to sweat. My palms feel clammy. I have a pit in my stomach. I feel nauseous, right? All of the experiential feelings of anxiety. And she said, everything you just named is a sensation. And you're in the habit of labeling it as fear and anxiety when really it's just a sensation. It's just energy moving through your body. You're in a habit of labeling it as fear. She says, you have a choice. You can take that energy and plug it in and use it to illuminate what you do, or you can let it shut you down. And something about that clicked for me. You know, I think it might've just been the right moment, the right timing, but I actually heard what she was really trying to do, which was relabel how we name things, which was going to shift our entire experience of it. And I had this realization where I had always, up to this point, saw the future as this unknown and fearful. I then realized, wait a second, I have the known and I have the unknown. And I previously had been naming, naming and labeling it as the unknown was bad because it was just not known. And the known was good because it was familiar. But the irony was I had the known and I wasn't happy. And I've been doing all the things, therapy, couples therapy, like self-awareness, like all the things. So then I had this awareness that my true happiness and fulfillment only can reside in the unknown. Because I had the known, but it wasn't giving me what I thought it was going to be giving me. And I was able to have this mindset shift to, oh, well, then that makes the unknown kind of awesome now, doesn't it? Because that's where I get to create my fulfillment or my happiness or whatever it was I was really seeking. So the speaker up on stage, she then says, okay, I'm not going to call anyone's name at random out of a hat. And you heard this collective sigh of 200 women. She says, but I will give you a chance to come up here 
and plug your energy in. And for the courage to do so, we will give you a standing ovation on the way up and a standing ovation on the way down. And feel pretty terrified, or what I would label as terrified. I threw my hand up in the air and I'm like, I'm gonna plug it in. And I got caught up on stage. I have no idea what I spoke about for two minutes, but I did it. And I got my two standing ovations, which felt awesome. So breaking the board and that mindset shift of being able to label the sensations in my body in a new way, those were my two major life pivotal moments that ultimately I became licensed as a therapist. I have written two books, a mindfulness book for kids and a mindfulness book for educators to guide kids in a mindfulness practice. In 2021, I had a gratitude book come out called A Year of Gratitude, which was daily prompts for 365 different ways to practice gratitude and have developed now my career around helping my clients in a mindfulness-based therapy practice, which I really have transferred into more coaching as it just gives me a little bit more freedoms and a little more tool-driven because I find many people are curious about processing their past, but really they know where they are. They know where they want to be. And there's often a barrier from where they are to where they want to be. And that's, you know, more coaching tools. Um, I had since gotten divorced and manifested the partner of my dreams that I've been with for seven and a half years. And that's my journey in a nutshell. (laughs) Whoa, that's incredible. I mean, there's so many juicy parts there, the reframes of embracing the unknown, which is one of the hardest things, right? Our minds are not comfortable with the unknown. Yeah, you know, really embracing that mindset shift has been massive for me. Doing my best to have an ongoing practice of acceptance and compassion, compassion for myself, compassion for others, especially my family of origin, the traumas that we've all been through. You know, I recently have been doing some very deep inner child work with an intuitive healer in which it really helped me realize the extent to which I labeled some of those early experiences as traumas that I didn't otherwise see. And that gave myself a lot of compassion for developing the strategies I developed versus saying, oh, this is just who I am, right? And that's language that I use with clients that these are strategies you developed out of a need. And when you recognize that the context and conditions in which those strategies were developed are no longer present, you have greater freedom to let those strategies go, see what the current context and conditions are and develop strategies based on the here and now, right? Even reframing the word strategies from instead of using the word patterns, I get nitpicky on language sometimes and patterns to me feel like they are more ingrained. It's just, this is who I am. These are my patterns. Whereas a strategy, well, you just developed a set of tools based on a condition that you likely had nothing to do with, but you were likely just looking for how to best survive in a context that you had no control in. Mm, yeah, that's amazing. I'm curious, you mentioned how you had the big breakthrough with the board and the self-doubt. Going back to that, the realization that, oh my gosh, now I have you know all these other areas of life where something's holding me back, where I'm not living my fullest potential and realizing you may have to leave the relationship or make other changes in the job life and so forth. But was there still fear there? Was it easy to just suddenly make all this change in my life? Or was there still a process to that? A hundred percent, there was still fear. And because I had my mindfulness and meditation practice, 
I had the ability to be with the fear in a different way. My old habit was to let the fear take over and have it stop me. I remember specifically the weekend my husband moved out and the first time that my kids were with him and not at home. I was very overwhelmed with a huge slew of emotions. And you got to understand, I had been with him since I was 13 years old. And here I am 36. I literally knew no different. I went from being dependent on my mom to being dependent on him. I never even really individuated as a teenager. I saw him every weekend in college. Like I really did not know how to be on my own. So was this anxiety provoking? Absolutely. And when that emotion came up because of my foundation at that point in my meditation practice, I could observe it. And I literally would say out loud to myself, this is what sadness feels like. Can I let it be okay to be sad? This is what fear feels like. Can I let it be okay to be fearful? This is what anxiety feels like. Can I let it be okay? I simply gave it room to exist. And by doing so, increased my tolerance for that discomfort. And the irony is for those listening who don't practice this, when you can name it and allow it, it actually moves through like 10 times faster. I don't want to put a number on it, but it speeds up the experience of a discomfort when you simply just allow it to be versus fighting it, resisting it, denying it, ignoring it, pushing it away, judging it, pushing it under the rug. You know, I always say whatever you push under the rug, you're eventually going to tip over a pile under the rug. Like it doesn't go away. So we've got to allow it in to let it out. It absolutely was hard. Don't get me wrong. And it didn't stop me. Whereas before the thought of the fear or the thought of the anxiety would have been more than enough to prevent me from moving forward. My daughter has a favorite quote of feel the fear and do it anyway, which I appreciate. And I love that the attitude of don't let fear stop you. But like, I want to qualify that of feel the fear, name it, acknowledge it, and then have discernment whether or not it still is the right choice to still do the thing, right? Like we want to have discernment in there. It's not just naming it in and of itself means it's okay to move forward, right? We want to be sure we clear. <laughs> Why are we doing what we're doing? which is really how I define mindfulness as living with greater awareness, attention, and intention. Mm. So yeah. it, it, it definitely doesn't make it go away. Those emotions and experiences are still there. I just learned how to be with it in a different way that didn't prevent me, that actually allowed me to stay open to really manifest a lot of my life. My manifestations have been abundant in what I've created because I pushed away like the cobwebs that were preventing the things from coming in. Mm, yeah, I was about to ask, how does that shift translate into more attraction and allowing and bringing things well, in? Well, yeah, every time we're going to be in a fear-based mindset, what are we actually attracting into the world is more fear. And I am a big believer in energy. I'm a big believer in law of attraction. I'm a big believer in mindset. If we think we can't, we're right, right? I, I proved that with my not breaking the board the first time. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that I work with my clients is simply the phrase of what's your board, what's your cushion, what's your obstacle, what's your goal. And for many people, especially the women I work with who are often dealing with different stages of parenting, and especially as their kids are getting close to graduating, you know, a lot of women don't know what to do with themselves when their role that they've had for 18 plus years is now shifted. And to be able to look at ourselves and say, who am I in the here and now? And who do I want to be? 
But for some women, when I say, what's your board, what's your cushion? And I know this happens for men too, but my main clientele is women. Oftentimes they don't know what their cushion is. The things that stop us is that we don't know where we're going. And that's really easy to do when we just do what's next or we are enmeshed with our partners and we don't know what do I actually believe or think or, or like or dislike. Like I don't know who I am outside of my relationships. So it's a beautiful process of self-discovery, curiosity, self-compassion for what arises. Mm. It's easier said than done. That's why it's a practice. That's what I always say. Yes. One curious question. You mentioned you were seeing the green ladybugs and all that. Was there something that changed that suddenly these things were showing up in your life? I love the question. I am someone who will ask the universe, give me signs. And every single time I have opened myself up to receiving those messages, I get them in spades. So another one of my favorite stories to highlight this. Since I was young, I was told that I was always a bright light and that I had the kind of smile that could light up a room. And at my bat mitzvah, my Torah portion that I read was about the plague darkness. And my speech that I gave was about how Jews in general, but in my family in particular, with how much trauma there was, always found the light in the dark. So the rabbi, after I give my speech, he turns to me, he says, you know, it's no surprise that in the middle of your name, Jory, is the Hebrew word for light, which is or. So light became a big theme for me of people feeding this back to me. When I was going through this existential crisis, I told my therapist on a Thursday that my revelations was, how do I keep my marriage together without squashing my light? The very next day happened to be Hanukkah, which is the festival of lights. And we were having some friends over for dinner. And as I walked past my bedroom to go downstairs to make dinner, I saw that my light on my nightstand was on and I didn't turn it on. I thought that's weird. And I walked by a little bit while later and my husband's light was on as well. So I turned his off. I went downstairs. We had this whole evening in my husband showing our friends that he replaced the kitchen faucet all by himself. We discovered that our garbage disposal was leaking. And that evening after they left, I told my husband this revelation I had had about not wanting to squash my light. And because of the garbage disposal leaking, he decides he's going to sleep downstairs because in his infinite wisdom, if the kitchen flooded, he would save it from happening, which was hilarious because he slept through everything. So it was the first time we'd ever gone to bed separate. And there wasn't a fight. Like there was no other reason than the logistics of the kitchen may flood. Ironically, Chris, about a year later, our kitchen did flood, which that was fascinating. However, I go to bed and I wake up at about three in the morning because the lights are on. And I thought, that's weird. I get up, I go to the bathroom, I go downstairs, ask him if he wanted to come up to bed. He was happy on the couch. I get back in bed and the lights, you just would tap them. There was no like switch. You just like touch the base and it would go off. So I turned them off, rolled over and my light went back on. I'm like, that's weird. Turned it off, rolled over. And for the next three hours, whatever I turned off, the light kept coming back on. To the point where I literally sat up in my bed and I'm both laughing and crying at the same time. And I say out loud to my room, I get it. My light won't go out. At about six in the morning, my husband comes upstairs and I pretend to be asleep because I'm curious what's going to happen with the lights now. And sure enough, he gets into bed and the light goes on. And he goes, what was that? 
And I said, you don't understand. I've been wrestling lights all night long. My light won't go out. And he had real moments of awareness. And this was one of them. He said, well, I'm happy to see that it went on when I'm in the room. And that was a Saturday. That night we went to a friend's 40th birthday party, got home late, the light went on. So we decided to unplug it because we needed to sleep. And he's like, I'm not trying to extinguish your light. Like we just need to sleep. He was very cautious about that. A couple of days later, we plugged it back in. And that was mid-November, mid-November all the way through end of December, my light kept going on. And only mine at this time, not on his side. And I attached a lot of meaning to this of the universe reminding me my light won't go out. And it was winter break over New Year's. We were going down to Southern California with our kids to see some friends. And despite that this was a really rocky point in our marriage, we had a great week away. And I had unplugged my lamp before I left because I was afraid the light was going to go on. When I was gone, it was going to burn out. So as we're driving back home, I'm feeling that anxiety kind of creep up. Like, how can I maintain what we had while we were gone when we're back home? It was New Year's Day. We get home super late. It was like one in the morning, got the kids in bed, unpacked the car. I'm about to get into bed. I go to plug in my lamp and the light bulb blew. And I burst into tears and I'm like, that's it. My light, it's done. I mean, I had really overattached a lot of meaning to this sign. And my husband goes, do you want me to put my light bulb in? I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want your light. I want my own light. So at one in the morning, he goes downstairs. He gets a light bulb out of the garage. He put it in. And I was convinced it would never go back on again. It went on the next day, January 2nd. And it went on once that May. And then it never went on again. But on January 3rd was my 33rd birthday. And I started seeing the number 33 everywhere. I mean, I would look at the clock at 33 on license plates. So much so, like we were even on a cruise that following summer. And we, at lunch, got sat at table number 33 out of like 160 tables. And when I got back from the cruise, I was with my kids. And we were driving to meet my mom for lunch. And I'm running late. I'm having this existential crisis thought. Uh, I hadn't yet broken the board yet. This was pre-board breaking. Um, I thought, what am I going to do with my life? And I look up and as I'm having this thought, the car next to me, the license plate was a number six, which at that time, all, all cars started with six in California. The letters JPR, which is my initials, 033. I'm like, it's my name and my number. Like, what are the mathematical odds of this car existing at all? let alone in my town, let alone my awareness to see it at the moment of this existential crisis thought. I had the wherewithal to think all about that, get my phone, take a picture while I'm driving and being like, I can't make this shit up. Because I saw that car probably a dozen times, always at moments of awareness in which I had a significant thought and there it was. So I, again, I can't make these stories up, but I have opened myself up to receiving. And when I have, the universe is like, you asked. <laughs> so it's always been confirmation. I'm on the right path. I'm on the right path. Wow. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. That is really incredible. And the illustration of how powerful we are, maybe not even how powerful we are of how the power that comes through us if we just allow it is get out of our own way exactly yeah 
and things that don't make so much sense rationally. There's just such small thoughts to believe that something isn't possible. And one la- one thank you. And one last piece of this story is after my divorce, I dated a lot. I think being on the spiritual path that I was combined with being a therapist led to a lot of first dates, but not many second dates. I think I was quite intimidating and probably, you know, a lot of men were like, oh my God, you're analyzing me right now. And that was pretty threatening. So it was pretty hard to find quality people that I was interested in. And I was ready just to give up. And what shifted me was a roomy quote that said, what you seek is seeking you. And that was a huge mindset shift of, oh, I'm not like out there, like searching for some person, but someone's looking for me that I am exactly what is on someone's, you know, criteria list. So I wrote down, it was a Sunday of Thanksgiving. I I wrote a letter with the quote up at the top, what you seek is seeking you. And I titled it dear future partner. And I wrote all the areas in my life I was grateful for, all the areas I was whole and complete. And then I wrote what I still had room for and very specific criteria of what I wanted in a partner. I meditated on it. I put the piece of paper in my drawer. I meditated on it. 10 days later, I re-download Tinder because I was off dating apps. I was curious if there was someone in my inbox I wanted to talk with. I wasn't there to look for anyone new. I told myself, I'm not here to swipe. Well, the very first profile that popped up when I downloaded it caught my attention. He was an educational psychologist, a PhD, and was a consultant on Pixar's Inside Out because he was an expert in emotions and consulted on the character Anger. I'm like, oh, that's hot. And I ended up swiping right on it. We were texting within a few hours. We met for lunch the next day. It's my last story, I promise. (laughs) But But this is like all the same. We met for lunch the next day. I went to bed the night before reading a psychology magazine and the article was on couples therapy, one of which I'm trained in, in John Gottman's work. The other one I had never heard of, it was emotion focused therapy with Susan Johnson. And I'm like reading because I didn't know about this other form of couples work. I walk into lunch the next day and John's sitting at the table. He was there before I was, and he was reading a book. Would you like to guess which book he was reading? The book from the article that I read the night before. I can't make these stories up. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, and it's not our role to make these things up either, right? No. It's, it's to be open and allow them to happen. And, and you're a glowing example of that. <laughs> I can see your smile and your energy yeah. radiating from all of that. That's such a beautiful and continuously unfolding life that there's no end to this, right? No. Um, and it yeah. continues to unfold in more serendipitous ways. John and I have been together seven and a half years. We broke up brief- briefly, but we were back together and engaged to be married. And even through that breakup, there was serendipity of what we both had to learn and go through to experience a necessary painful step to get to the next level of awareness, the next level of connection, the next level of peace, the next level of our own spiritual growth, the next level of our relationship. Sometimes we don't see it in the moment. It's too painful. But again, I had the practice. And when we first broke up, my question to myself was, how would I respond differently if I knew this was all in divine timing? How would I respond differently if I knew this was in service to my highest self? And those two questions grounded me in being able to not let the fear take over. And to, it was really hard with actually this breakup 
only lasted a few months, but was 10 times harder than my divorce. And it allowed me to trust. Okay. There, there's greater purpose here. I know enough to know the universe has my back. Yeah. Wow. And there's so many subplots in that surrender, not viewing things as final, the next level, as you were saying, there's always continued expansion and learning and lessons contained in everything. So always. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for shining your light. So I can only encourage anyone who's been listening to reach out to Joy. Where can people find you? Yeah. Um, joyrose.com. J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E.com. Um, that will have links to everything. I uh, At Joy Rose on Instagram is where I like to play the most. I have some online courses. I've got my books on there. I do one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'm going to be hosting a virtual retreat in September leading into my signature Journey Forward Method course starting in October. So if any of these tools are things that, you know, someone would want to journey forward in their life, right? Starting with that foundation of mindfulness and meditation and how to mindset shift. This is, this is what I'm all about. Transformation. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's all about transforming from one moment to the next and letting it all unfold. And you are a glowing example of that, Jory. So it's been such a great pleasure having you. There's so many additional areas in there that I'm sure we'll connect on in the future. So thank you so much Absolutely. for being on the show. Thank yeah. You. Thank you so much for having me and giving me space to share my story. Okay. I told you my four favorite stories. So hopefully it's inspired someone to open themselves up and let the universe reveal what the past is, is going to look like. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. And to the listeners, thanks again. This was the latest episode of the BU podcast. Thanks for tuning in. As always, check out my website, Sirach.com, and follow me on social media at Chris Sirach. Until next time, be happy, be free, be you. And that's it for this week's episode of the BU Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. As always, check out my website, Sirach.com, and follow me on social media, at Chris Sirach. Until next time, be happy, be free, be you.